Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hello, everyone, and welcome back once again to Earth Destruction Directive. This is episode six, and I hope everyone enjoyed our previous episode where we had our shell shock inducing coverage of Gamera the Invincible. Uh, I'd also like to take this opportunity to thank Scott and Chris over on uh, Two True Freaks, who featured that episode as their featured podcast very recently. Uh, Scott and Chris can be found at twotruefreaks.libson.com, and they host a whole bevy of uh, geek-related podcasts, including Star Trek Monthly Monday, Star Wars Monthly Monday, Comics Monthly Monday, Tales of the JSA, and one of my personal favorites, Back to the Bins, which is... Uh, uh, delivers the goodness that can only be found in randomly selected comic book back issues. Um, you can also hear the other podcasts I do, along with my co-hosts, uh, Hair Metal Hero and, uh, Chris Honeywell, which is the vault of startling monster horror tales of terror. And as the name implies, that is a horror podcast, and we're currently watching the films of John Carpenter. But if you are looking for a Daikaiju podcast, you need to keep it tuned right here on the Earth Destruction Directive. We've got a good one for you today with Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, a.k.a. Godzilla vs. the Cosmic Monster film that first introduced the world to the giant mecha, Mechagodzilla. So we are going to get right into it right after this quick break. Welcome back once again to Earth Destruction Directive. Our film this month is Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla from 1974. Uh, this was released in the United States under the title Godzilla vs. the Cosmic Monster in 1977. Interesting note, the original name for this movie was Godzilla vs. the Bionic Monster, but a suit from Universal TV against CinemaShares, the U.S. distributor, accused them of trying to capitalize on the name of a bionic woman. And so uh, CinemaShare pla- caved in and changed the name to Cosmic Monster. The film was directed by June Fukuda. This was the last uh, Godzilla film Fukuda would direct. It was produced by Tomoyuki Tanaka with effects by Teriyoshi Nakano. Our story opens on Okinawa as a descendant of the ancient ruling family, the priestess Nami, has a dire vision of death and destruction coming to the world. At a nearby archaeological dig, a mining foreman named Gosuke discovers an ancient chamber, and inside that chamber they find a small statue of the guardian dog creature King Caesar, who legend says defends the Okinawan royal family. Uh, the university, I'm not really sure what university, sends over an investigator named Seiko uh, to examine the room, take photographs, and she reads the hieroglyphics on the walls, and they tell of a prophecy, and it says, 
that when a black mountain appears in the sky, a monster will appear to ravage the world. And when the sun rises in the west, two monsters will appear to save the people of the world. So taking the statue, Gosuke and Seiko head back for Tokyo. And while they're flying, they see a mass of black clouds in the sky, in the shape of a mountain. Dun, dun, dun. They take the statue to Professor Miyajima, who actually is Gosuke's uncle. Uh, and meanwhile, Gosuke's brother, Masahiko, uh, he'd found a small piece of metal, an odd metal that he couldn't identify on Okinawa. So he takes that to a Professor Wagura. And Wagura says that the strange metal is space titanium. And that it obviously came from outer space. Yeah. Soon afterward, Godzilla appears, uh, much like the prophecy said that a monster would appear after the Black Mountain. And he attacks civilization once again. And it's weird because he goes out of his way to destroy buildings and, you know, punching buildings to the ground. Not really typical Godzilla uh, behavior. Soon, though, he's met by his old ally, Angiris. And, you know... Angie gets his butt handed to him. Uh, Godzilla just goes straight at him and doesn't take any quarter with him, actually picks him up by his tail and slams him into the ground repeatedly and then breaks his jaw with a spurt of blood shooting out of it and um, he pretty much nearly beats him to death until Angiris is able to uh, burrow away. Uh, interesting note about Angiris burrowing. Um, I've always heard rumors that it was supposed to be Baragon who was supposed to take this scene. But the Baragon suit, as always, always seems to be in a state of disrepair. So Angurus got the nod. Uh, traditionally, Baragon was the one who could burrow, but Angurus now can burrow thanks to this movie. Later, the statue of King Caesar is nearly stolen from Gosuke and the Professor by a thief in the night. But the thief is chased off by an outside uh, interloper. Godzilla then reappears at an oil refinery, sending it up in flames with a lot, a lot of explosions. I said before that Nakano loves his explosions, and this is probably some of his best, easily I should say, some of his best work as far as explosions in miniatures. But so as Godzilla uh, stomps through the refinery, who appears but Godzilla? And now we've got the two Godzillas facing each other down, and it's like, okay, why are there two of them? Well, it very clearly becomes obvious when the uh, aggressor is revealed to be a cyborg with the original god the i should say the second godzilla in this film shows up and shoots him with some atomic breath and is able to uh peel some of the fake skin off of the uh the second godzilla and so they they monster burns off all the fake skin and is revealed as the gleaming metal monster mecha godzilla the two monsters begin a, a fight and they're really going into each other when both of them use their beam weapons at the same time. Godzilla's atomic breath and Mechagodzilla's eye beams. Well, the two beams clash in midair and cause a tremendous explosion that knocks both monsters on their butts, sending Godzilla down into the murky depths of the, uh, uh, of the bay with a big pool of blood bubbling to the surface and blasting Mechagodzilla onto his own keister, forcing them to retreat. Our human heroes then take the, try to take the statue back to Okinawa, going over a cruise ship, thinking that they will be uh, less exposed to whoever tried to steal it. But the thief is on their ship as well and, and steals the statue and a fight breaks out. And once again, Kosuke is saved thanks to a mysterious interloper. Uh, but the other odd thing about this is that when he wounds the would-be thief, his face turns into that of an anthropomorphic 
ape, and he's an alien from another planet. And the statue that the alien thief stole is actually a fake, so they still have the statue and they're able to get back to Okinawa. The other group of heroes, while this is going on, including Masahiko, Professor Wagura, and Wagura's daughter, are also on Okinawa, and they are captured by the aliens. The aliens then force uh, Professor Wagura, because of his uh, skills with robotics, to repair the Mechagodzilla, saying that they will murder his daughter and Masahiko if he doesn't, but that they will, of course, let him go free along with his friends if he doesn't. So Wagura makes the repairs on the MG, the aliens, of course, double-cross him and throw him, Masahiko, and his daughter into a room where they attempt to scald them to death with uh, lots of steam jets and a red light. It's, uh, it's kind of funny looking, but it's like, that's a pretty crummy way to die, really, when you think about it. But the, uh, our heroes are saved by uh, Gosuke and an agent of Interpol who had been trailing him. And this is the same gentleman who uh, saved his life both on the, uh, on the cruise ship and back when the thief first struck. And he had been hanging out around him and Seiko, claiming to be a freelance reporter, uh, who kind of skeevy looking, looks like he's up to no good, but he turns out to be one of the good guys. But with the repairs to Mechagodzilla completed, the aliens release him, and at the same time, the Okinawan priestess, she gets the statue and pushes it above the gate uh, of their temple, and then the sings to wake up King Caesar, who is, a uh, Asian dog-style monster. You always see these type of guys standing guard outside Chinese buffets, and I always think about King Caesar every time I see that. Well, Caesar comes up, and he and the Mechagodzilla fight, and Caesar can hold his own because uh, he can actually uh, absorb rays shot at him through his right eye and then send him right back through his left eye. So Mechagodzilla is unable to use his eye beam effectively, so he switches to other weapons to hurt uh, King Caesar. As the two titans collide, Godzilla, who has been refreshed after taking several direct hits from a lightning storm, comes out of the sea to meet his doppelganger, and the battle is on. And that's pretty much our story. This is a, it's an interesting movie. I, I didn't like this one a lot when I was uh, younger. In fact, I distinctly remember falling asleep through it a couple of times when I tried to watch it. And so I was, you know, like I said, I was eager to watch this one because I wanted to really look at it critically, and I enjoyed it. It was better than I remembered it being. It still has some real slow spots in the middle. Uh, after the first fight between Godzilla and Mechagodzilla, there's a lot of human stuff that really kind of drags on. And it slows it down, and overall it, it kind of hurts the film. But at the same token... It's ambitious. It's certainly the most ambitious of the 1970s films, and I can't really fault the film for trying to do too much. I mean, I would much rather a film try to do too much and miss the mark than to, you know, give a less of an effort and do okay with just, you know, doing a little bit. Uh, some interesting notes. The, uh, the opening credits to this movie are like a travelogue with a sort of, you know, uh, like almost like a canned-style music and showing all these nice... Uh, you know, touristy-looking pictures of Okinawa. It made me want to visit Okinawa, but, you know, not, not if a giant cyborg monster is going to attack it. Speaking of the score, the other thing this film is known for is its very upbeat jazz uh, soundtrack for the new music in it. Uh, this was used to great effect as a joke later in Godzilla Final Wars. It, I mean, I, it makes sense for, again, Japan in the mid-70s, but it just sounds so different than everything else that we'd hear with the big brass, dan, 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 and all that. 
Um, it's certainly memorable, so I can't uh, can't fault that. So, uh, let's see. Some interesting also is there's there's a, a couple of really recognizable Toho actors in here, but they all play the older characters. They all play the positions of authority. Uh, Professor Miyajima, for instance, he's played by uh, Akihiko Harada, who played Professor Ser- Professor Serizawa in the original Godzilla, not to mention he was in Rodan, the Mysterians, Varan, Mothra, King Kong vs. Godzilla, Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, the list goes on. And by the same token, Professor Wagura, who's played by Hiroyoshi Kazumi, he was in Godzilla Raids Again, Mothra, Matango, uh, Godzilla 1985. I mean, this guy has tons of Toho credits. So it's like, you see these guys like, oh, it's that guy and that guy. We don't get it so much with the younger members of the cast, but the older members of the cast. That really made me smile to see all these um, familiar faces getting uh, parts again. Let's see. Um, like I said before, this really is a pretty ambitious movie. It has a lot of plot elements going on. It's also pretty ambitiously shot. There's a lot of creative frames uh, and shots in the film with um, you know multiple multiple frames and. Uh, there's one part with um, the characters using the camera that we see the frame actually go to black around the, the snapshot of the camera, which is pretty neat. It's just generally more of a attempt to do a, a bigger film than I think they had the budget for in, in some cases. But it, but it certainly plays a lot better than you know Godzilla vs. Megalon, Godzilla vs. Gigan, some of these, these ultra-cheap uh, films from the 70s. And um, the other thing is nice is the stock footage is really kept to a minimum, which at this point in the series was really starting to get ridiculous. Godzilla vs. Gigan has more stock footage in it than I think it does new footage, and it just becomes pretty glaring. Whereas this one, even you know the stuff with Angurus is all new, so it's uh, you know that that's refreshing to get all new effects shots. Um, Speaking of the effects, they're generally pretty good. Part of the downside of the effects is that watching this on DVD, the DVD is way too clear. Uh, during the fight between the disguised Mechagodzilla and Angurus, for instance, uh, the MG picks up Angurus by his tail and slams him to the ground repeatedly. Well, the wires are really, really obvious now on DVD. Um, I don't know if they were always so obvious on, on VHS, but on the DVD it's pretty apparent. Uh, same goes, there's a scene where Mechagodzilla is disguised inside of a rock that uh, flies for a short while, and the wires are really plain. You know, but that, that comes with the format. You know, they never expected these things to be quite that uh, clear. But, uh, but overall, the effects are, are good. Mechagodzilla is a great design. Uh, I, this is my favorite design of all of the Mechagodzillas we would get. It's, he's angular and menacing, and he's just bristling with weapons from, like I said, his eye beams. He's got uh, the rockets on his fingertips and, and toes. He's got a electric-style beam that shoots out of his chest. Um, just when he unloads his arsenal, it's just a great, great shot, very iconic shot for the Godzilla series. In fact, there's a couple of iconic shots in this uh, that really, I think, have stuck with a lot of fans. Like I said, that is one of them, the Mechagodzilla unloading his arsenal. Specifically, when he gets ready to fire the rockets in his fingers, his hand snaps to be parallel with the ground. And that is a, uh, you ask any, any Godzilla fan, they go like that and move their hand from perpendicular to the ground to parallel to the ground. They know what you're talking about right there. 
the scene of the two Godzillas facing each other is another classic with Godzilla versus Godzilla. It's like, whoa, you know, nobody, uh, you know, that that's like a dream. But uh, another great, great shot. And um, during the fight with King Caesar and Godzilla against Mechagodzilla, at one point, Mechagodzilla uh, puts his, points his um, rockets towards um, Godzilla and turns his head 180 degrees backwards to shoot the I-beam at King Caesar. And that's another uh, good shot, very much taking advantage of the idea that the Mechagodzilla is a robot and not just a monster. Uh, and, you know... You can't. If, what's the point of having a robot if he doesn't act like a robot? You know, King Caesar is a pretty neat monster too. I, I like the con, the contrast between him and Mechagodzilla. This, you know, ancient uh, guardian beast from Okinawan legend being contrasted against a a giant space robot. Um, he he's he's pretty neat. His probably his most memorable feature is his ears that stick straight up, uh, and along with the song that the priestess sings to him, which is uh, a lot of fun. The ears are, are, are a favorite. Uh, what's funny about King Caesar is this is his only appearance until he shows up again in Godzilla Final Wars. And I think a lot of viewers were confused in Final Wars when we get this big fight between Godzilla against Anguirus, Rodan, and King Caesar. And it's like, well, who the heck's he? Who's the dog guy? And the idea being that Godzilla was fighting against his three allies in that one fight. Um... Caesar's a good monster. I just don't think he ever got enough play. Part of it is because being that he sleeps inside the big mountain in Okinawa, there's only so many opportunities for him to come into, into a situation, you know, compared to other Earth monsters that simply roam about free. But I, I like King Caesar. I wish we could have seen more with him, but he's, again, he's the kind of character probably better suited for something like comics or something like that because you could write a story um, involving Okinawa that would be able to utilize him well. Godzilla looks pretty good in this movie. He certainly looks a lot better than he did in Godzilla vs. Megalons. A new suit, a new head, uh, eyes very much forward-facing, but they don't look real goofy. Um, kind of a what I've always heard described as like a dog face, which I can kind of see. He's got kind of a curled lip, um, but it's you know it's a good good enough suit. The uh, real interesting thing for Godzilla in this is he displays his electromagnetic powers after he is struck by lightning. Another shot that's uh, pretty well known. Actually, was turned into a, a diorama by um, oh, who does those? I guess Bandai does those little two, three-inch dioramas. Where after he's struck by lightning, he turns himself into a giant electromagnet and draws two giant uh, power poles to him, and then uh, across his chest in a big X looks like Hawkman or the Martian Manhunter, the big X across his chest, and then pulls the Mechagodzilla out of the sky with his uh, electromagnetic powers. Of course, this would never get uh, referenced again, much like uh, several of his other goofy powers from the 70s. But um, it's, it's, it's memorable enough, like I said, that you look at it, you're like, oh, yeah, of course, I remember that. Uh, Goji, you know, he, he doesn't have a whole lot of screen time this time out. The Mechagodzilla has more screen time than him. This is much more a movie about the Mechagodzilla, with Godzilla kind of uh, being another factor. It's interesting, because both Mechagodzilla movies from the Showa era are like that. But, you know, Mechagodzilla is a... Uh, He's, he's a good character, so I don't have a particular problem with that. Let's see. Uh, oh, one thing I should mention. This film is, is bloody. Like all these, uh, a lot of these 70s films, uh, they, they really decide to amp up the blood factor on these monster fights. And so besides Anguirus having blood spewing from his jaw, Godzilla gets uh, bloodied up pretty badly by the Mechagodzilla. At one point, the MG shoots him with five rockets from his fingers, and they all stick into him. 
and we see blood all over him. Actually, that's right before the electromagnetic scene, actually. Um, one thing I also liked about the film was that the prophecy is established very early, like the first five, six minutes of the film, and then it drives the rest of the narrative. Everybody keeps coming back to the prophecy, and I, I liked that. I thought it was neat that it, they set up something at the beginning that helped tie everything together, all these dissimilar elements with Okinawan legend and invaders from outer space and giant robots and Interpol, and but it all kind of came together with this prophecy, and I thought that was a, uh, a good uh, plot device for uh, Fukuda and company to use. Let's see, any other uh, notes I've got here? Oh, one thing that's interesting is that the uh, when the Mechagodzilla is disguised and he's on screen by himself or with Anguirus, it uses the suit that Godzilla uses for the movie. But when the two Godzillas are on screen, obviously Godzilla is played by his own suit, but the Mechagodzilla has this really fake-looking silly head on it, and I don't know if that was done intentionally or what, but it's just a really big, dopey head with these really fake-looking eyes on it. And um, between that and the, the electro, excuse me, the, the metallic shriek that the Mechagodzilla gives, it's like, well, of course that's not Godzilla. Anybody can tell that. But I, I don't know if, like I said, I don't know if that was done intentionally or what, but it always uh, was amusing to me. Uh, anything else I want to say? Uh, one thing I must say, during the fight on the cruise ship, we do get a lawn chair fight. Uh, proving, once again, that any weapon can be deadly in a fight if you know how to use it. Uh, Gosuke is chasing the uh, invader uh, through the ship, and the invader throws about half a dozen lawn chairs at him to block his way, then runs up a flight of steps and hits him with a lawn chair and knocking him all the way back down the steps. So next time you get into a fight, remember, keep your trusty garden chair with you, and no one will be able to stop you. I think that is about it for now. I think that's all that I got on this movie, looking at my notes here. Um, like I said, it was better than I remembered it being. It's still not... I don't think it's as good as Terror of Mechagodzilla, its direct sequel. But I think it's a, it's a strong movie. It's better than I remembered. Certainly um, neat, certainly has some weak points. Like I said, it's a little little slow going in the middle. Um, there's a large portion with not a lot of action going on. But overall, solid movie, definitely worth watching. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't find any place that you could stream this online. It's not on Netflix, and it's not on Crackle. It, you may be able to stream this on Amazon streaming. I'm not 100% sure because I've never used this service. I do know that this film is available on DVD from Sony. Uh, very nice DVD. No, no real extras to speak of, but very nice picture. The international uh, copy of the film, the international dubbing. Um, Obviously, it's complete and uncut, but, you know, I, there was only a few minor cuts in this movie originally when it was brought over, so uh, not missing much there. Uh, it is, was available on VHS um, if you want to go that route. Again, there's no real reason to. It's not like we're getting a different version now than we did on the VHS. But um, as I said, if, if you like the modern Mechagodzilla, go back, check this one out. I think you'll like it. Uh, it's neat to see Mechagodzilla as a bad guy again, not a, not a tool of the humans, but a tool of actually aliens, see him as a space monster. Uh, like I said, I, I enjoyed it more than I thought I did, uh, or not, excuse me, I enjoyed it more than I had previously, and was glad that I got a chance to watch it. In fact, I'd like to sit down and watch it again uh, now that I've seen it. So uh, go check out Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. I think you'll be, uh, you'll be surprised at, uh, and enjoy this one. All right, we are going to take a quick break, and we're going to be right back here on the Earth Destruction Directive. 
Okay, we're back on Earth Destruction Directive. I hold in my hot little hands an email. And now we're going to get to the email. Email, email. Everybody loves email. And I do love email. And I will give the address in a little bit. And this email comes in from Scotty Gardner. And Scotty says, Luke, Scotty here once again saying great job on both of these episodes. He's referring to episodes four and five from the subject line. Your reviews of Godzilla x Megaguirus and Gamera the Invincible keep the status quo on your show of your content being informative and in- interesting. Megaguirus and Gamera were relatively new monsters to me, as I had only heard of Gamera once, but never had I heard of Megaguirus. These two, with the aid of your descriptions of them, had me going online and researching the Wikipedia pages on them. That's all I've got for you this time around. As always, good day, sir, and good podcasting. Signed, Scotty Gardner. Scotty, thank you very much for writing in. Uh, I'd like to say that if you are interested in Megagirus or Gamera, you can, in fact, see both of their films that we discussed online for free. If you go to www.crackle.com, uh, like the candy bar, except with a C. Uh, they have Godzilla X Megaguirus, along with a good majority of the modern Godzilla films, available for free. Uh, they've got ads built into them when you're watching it, but otherwise uh, there's no charge. And Gamera the Invincible, being uh, part of the public domain, is readily available on archive.org. And they got a pretty nice print, you know, relatively speaking, for a public domain film from 1966. But... Uh, Right there, easy viewing. And in fact, most of uh, Gamera's films, uh, the original films in one form or another, are in fact available on archive.org. It's a a really good resource for uh, Gamera movies on the cheap. Uh, The email, if you'd like to email in to Earth Destruction Directive, is earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. And any thoughts you send in, I'll be sure to uh, read them here on the show. So if you're enjoying what you're hearing or not enjoying what you're hearing, uh, send it in. If you've got a question, I'll gladly do my best to answer it on the show, uh, assuming it's something about Daikaiju. I mean, if you want, you know, investment advice, I'll give you my thoughts, but I'm no guarantee on, you know, how good that answer is going to be. Next time on Earth Destruction Directive, take a little bit of a change of pace, and I think we are going to talk about the first story arc in IDW's Godzilla Kingdom of Monsters comic book series. Now, as I am recording this, I have the first five issues. I should have the sixth issue by the time I'm getting ready to record the next episode. I get my comic's mail order now, so I've got to wait a little bit after a comic is released before I can get my hands on it. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that, epi- that episode, that issue six, is going to be the end of the first major story arc. That's the way... Uh, comics seem to go nowadays that six issues equals a story arc. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, one issue could equal a story arc, but that's neither here nor there. So uh, once I get to issue six, I think I'll give uh, give some attention to this series, which has been getting a lot of response online, both positive and negative, and so we'll take a good critical look at it and see uh, whether it's worth picking up or not. Uh, just a little bit of forewarning, that will be a spoiler-filled episode, so... If you are, in fact, waiting for the trade, then get off my podcast. No, I'm kidding. If you are, if you don't want to be spoiled, don't listen to the next episode um, in regarding Godzilla Kingdom of the Monsters from IDW. Um, IDW's also got, they've got a miniseries coming out right now called 
Gangsters and Goliath, which is pretty interesting, but I've only got the first issue of that, so, uh, and it's a five-issue mini, so obviously that one will have to wait uh, down the line a little bit. All right, you can find Earth Destruction Directive on the Internet at earthdestructiondirective.blogspot.com. There you can find links to all of our previous episodes, as long as, in addition to, I should say, um, along with anything else I think that might be interesting to you guys, uh, that's Daikaiju-related. As as I said, you can always email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com, and... I guess that's it. I don't have anything else. I don't have a forum or anything, so those are pretty much it. If you want to get in touch with me, you can leave a comment on the blog, you can send me an email, or you can usually find me on the Two True Freaks forum at www.forumforgeeks and head down to the Two True Freaks section. I'm on there as El Giacone. Um Considering if I want to get a forum, not really sure right now. Not sure if there's enough interest right now in the show, so... Uh, we'll see. And if there's any development from that, I'll be sure to let you guys know uh, first thing I can. Uh, And so, tune in next time. We're going to be talking about IDW's Godzilla Kingdom of Monsters comic book series. And until then, keep smashing. Big and terrible. More frightening than I ever thought possible. Hey, kids, comics! Hey, Michael! Yes? We have to record a promo for our podcast. I've got one. Read our podcast. Read our podcast. You do know this is an audio medium. Watch our podcast. Well, you can watch podcasts, but not ours, because let's face it, we've got faces for radio. Uh, no, wait, I've got it. Give me a second, right? What, just... Listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. Snap it. It's short, sweet. I'm liking it. It's good. It's great. Not exactly telling people what our podcast's about, though, is it? We read comics. We read comics. That's true. That's good. Liking it. Liking this pitch. Carry on. Right. We talk about comics. We do. We talk about comics. We read comics. And then we talk about them. Because we can't talk about them before we read them. Excellent. Keep going. And then... We think... Badly! Yes, well, badly is purely subjective, but how many other comic book podcasts do you know where people sing? Hey, kids, comics! Every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com.